Okay. My installation is on March the 2nd. So I will be, I know. And I want to invite you all to it. I'm really excited about it. They said, well, what do you want, Josh, for your installation as lead pastor? All right, I want, I want pizza, chocolate chip cookies, and a bounce house. That's like, that's the same thing that I wanted for my wedding reception. I didn't get any of them. So I got my way with two things. So we're going to be having a bounce house and chocolate chip cookies for my installation. They said no on the pizza. But um, we're going to, it's, it's on a Sunday service. Some of my pastor friends are going to be here. Some of pastor's pastor's friends are going to be here. They're going to lay hands on Mako and I, and uh, it's gonna, we're really excited about it, uh, terrified as well. Uh, but I want, you, I want to invite you to it, and we're going to have a little party afterwards, and uh, we're gonna, this is going to be a lot of fun. So I want to encourage you guys to come on out. Now, you need to all repeat something to me. The service is at 10.30, 10.30, one service, because... I don't need to be anointed twice. And if it doesn't stick, we'll just do it again next week. But it is time, it's kind of silly to do it twice. I mean, unless it doesn't stick. So, um, But we, got, we can do it the next week if it doesn't work, and we'll make it work. So uh, please come out. I, w- I would love to have fun with you. You know, it's not about, honestly, it's not about me or Mako. It's about you. It's about Granite Creek, and I'm excited about where God's taking us in the future. All right, and then that Tuesday, March the 4th, it is the only commandment on the calendar to actually March 4th, and we are going to do so. Uh, so we're not going to have our staff meeting for the church. We'll be up at the trailhead at the top of Mills at Claremont Wilderness Trail, and, and I want to encourage you to play hooky from work and, and join us at 9 o'clock, and we're going to hike the trail, and it's always a lot of fun. We've done it for years, so if you want to March 4th with Granite Creek, it's a lot of fun, and uh, you get to I don't know, call in sick or something, and, and just join us. I just, I'm in an honorary mood right now, aren't I? All right, I better stop. Um, would, you, would you pray with me? Father, right now, I just thank you for this gorgeous day, and I thank you for these gorgeous people that have a heart for you, that love you, and that they love each other. And I pray that we will, we will see new depths, a new season in our life where Uh, Our love for you actually increases. Our affections for each other and for the lost, it increases. That we will have an empowerment that we didn't have before. We will walk in an anointing that we didn't have before. So God, I thank you for the season that we're in. We love you. I pray that you will just bless this message. Amen. All right, so my wife is up, our college pastor. And this is a great message. I've heard it four times already, and it's amazing. And baby, come on up. That was my hot husband. Yep. <laughs> Payback. Payback. Good morning, everybody. How are you guys? Oh, okay, let's try. Really? Come on. Good morning. How are you guys? Hey, let's do this. Let's divide the church right in the half, okay? Good morning. Okay, good morning. I'm going to say it's a tie. It's a tie. Okay. Uh, good morning, everybody. Um, we are continuing our series this morning on dreams. You know, what is God's dream for um, my life? What is God's dream for the church? You know, how do we figure that out? What does that look like? 
So uh, I want to start us off watching a video that I think is very profound. It's got a lot of spiritual dimension to it. So if we could go ahead and uh, run this video. <laughs> I'm malicious, mean and scary. My snicker curdled dairy. And violence-wise, my hands are not the cleanest. But despite my evil look and my temper and my heart, I've always yearned to be a concertinist. Can't you see me on the stage performing Mozart? Tickling the ivories till they gleam. Yes, I'd rather be called deadly for my killer show too madly. Cause way down deep inside I've got a dream He's got a dream, he's got a dream See I ain't as cruel and vicious as I see Though I feel like breaking fevers You can count me with the dreamers Like everybody else I've got a dream Scars and lumps and bruises Plus something here that oozes And let's not even mention my complexion But despite my expert toes And my goiter and my nose I really wanna make a love connection Can't you see me with the special little lady Rowing in a rowboat down the stream Though I'm one disgusting blighter I'm a lover, not a blighter Cause way down deep inside I've got a dream I've got a dream Romance will reign supreme Though my face leaves people screaming There's a child behind it dreaming Like everybody else, I've got a dream Oh, I'd like to quit and be a florist Gunter does interior design Ulf is into mine Attila's cupcakes are sublime Bruiser knits, killer shows Dangers little puppet shows And Vladimir collects ceramic unicorns what about you? I'm sorry, me? What's your dream? No, no, no. Sorry, boys. I don't sing. I have dreams like you. No, really. Just much less touchy-feely. They mainly happen somewhere warm and sunny. On an island that I own, tanned and rested and alone. Surrounded by enormous piles of money. I've got a dream. She's got a dream. I've got a dream. She's got a dream. She's got a dream. Like all you lovely folks, I've got a dream. She's got a dream, he's got a dream, I've got a dream, he's got a dream. So our differences and dream, we've had a stream. We're Call us brutal, sadistic, and grotesquely optimistic. Cause we got deep inside, we've got a dream. I've got a dream, I've got a dream. So Josh and I were trying to have a contest who was going to show that clip first because we like that a lot. We've seen it probably like 20 times because that's one of our daughter's favorite films. And maybe it's mine too. But um, I think um, you guys fill in the blank here. When I was little, I grew up and I wanted to be a what? Because I think when we're young, we all have dreams, right? God plants those inside of us. 
and then we get older, and somehow that all kind of falls by the wayside, or we forget about it. But uh, when I was 11, uh, before that, I thought I wanted to be a veterinarian. And so my mom was awesome, and she set up uh, like an internship with our local vet. You know, we took our pets there too. And um, so I liked it, it was cool. I got to clean up like animals and feed them and you know, and then they stepped it up and I got to help out one day and do surgery on a poor bunny rabbit. Who is a bunny rabbit? They took away this bunny's ability to procreate. And I, I just kinda, that, that took my dream to a crashing halt. I thought I can't do this ever again. This was just so disturbing, I was like ah. Okay, but my point is, um, God, so obviously I didn't grow up to be a vet, but <laughs> God gives us dreams. And maybe you're like, well, Mako, I'm, I'm older, um, or I, I'm already set in life, and for that I commend you. But I think there's different dreams God has in mind for us for different seasons in our life. And so the question becomes, well, how do we figure that out? How do we find that out? And I think as humans, what we would like to do is, um, like on a lock, you know, a combination lock, you, you twirl it this way, this way, and this way, and it unlocks. We'd like to be able to have that kind of clarity and simplicity when we ask God. You know, wouldn't it be nice if you're trying to figure out if you should take a job that was, like, in a different part of the country? You could pray, like, on a Tuesday night and say, God, I've got this job I want to take. I need direction and guidance, right? So you go to bed. You wake up Wednesday morning, and guess what? There's, like, a UPS delivery envelope waiting for you. And it says, dear Mako, I heard your prayer last night. Oh, by the way, this is God. And don't take the job because I got one closer for home. Love you, God. Right? Wouldn't that be nice? If God was that clear, I would, I would appreciate it greatly. Um, but wherever you stand on that, let me just backtrack a little bit and say, <coughs> maybe you're like, I'm older, or I don't have dreams. I'm just here to work earn a living, provide for my family, whatever. And, and life has a way of kind of beating that out of us in a sense, right? Because we just get so incredibly pragmatic. We're like, that's not going to make me money. I'm not going to pursue it. I'm not going to do it, right? But that's not how God intended us to be. And we'll get into that in a second. But um, I would like you guys to turn your Bibles, please, to Psalm 139. We all know this. This has been quoted, looked at. But we're going to look at it a little closer. Do we have that scripture? 139, Psalm 139. Wonderful, thank you. All right, let's read it together. Um, we're just going to read a small snippet out of it. But um, it says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Verse 14, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. That's the womb. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Thanks. All right, so we look at that and we go, oh, isn't that nice? It's cozy. But when we look at it and we dig deeper, we look at the Hebrew here behind it, it's pretty profound. Um, verse 13, my inmost being, uh, the Hebrew is kilah. And the idea there is like kidneys. It's the kidneys. You look at that and you go, oh, kidneys, that's gross. What? In the ancient Near Eastern world, a person's, what made you you was found in your kidneys. 
that's weird for us because we're like, kidneys, what? Those are, you, sometimes you get operated and those get taken out. But in the ancient Near Eastern culture, your kidneys were the seat of your passions, of your desires, of your gifts, of your abilities, of your inclinations, of your character. So what's interesting is David here is writing, and he's like, God, you put me together, and you put all that together for me on the inside. You know, and it wasn't a matter of God slapping together DNA, being like, I'm going um, to give Heather green eyes and brown hair, brown, right? It's brown, yes, brown hair, and I'm going to give her some light freckles, and we'll make her hair straight. It wasn't like that. God painstakingly put together who Heather was, and he did it like with the kidneys, the very, the essence of who she was, okay? So put a pin in that and put it in your head. Just hold on to that for a second. All right, then we go on to verse 14, 14, or 14, (laughs) It says, I have been remarkably and wonderfully made. In other words, you, Heather, uh, Anna, anybody, you are made distinctly different than the 7 billion other people in this world. You might have similarities. You might have similar interests. You might have similar gifts and abilities. But God's like, I... Actually, let's hear it. Uh, verse 15. It says, when I was woven together, woven in the Hebrew refers to this idea of em- like embroidery, like sewing, okay? And it's used predominantly um, in the Levitical text when it talks about how God is having the, the, all the accoutrements and the, the artistic stuff and the, the linens made for the temple, right? And it talks about how the craftsmen wove together all these intricate Um, pieces of linen that were used in all of these ceremonies, right? That is the same word that is used here in verse 15. And it was painstaking what these craftspeople did. Well, guess what? That's what you are. God has painstakingly, you know, when you go to Starbucks, they're like, we made you a a handcrafted sugar-free soy vanilla upside-down latte, right? It's handcrafted. That's not handcrafted. Verse 15, this is handcrafted. God, the, you, the, the creator of the universe, the creator of time itself, took the time to knit you together, to put you together. If that doesn't blow your mind, I don't know what does. I mean, just think about that. Let that rattle around in your head for a bit. Uh, you know, a lot of the, uh, in the ancient Near Eastern culture, and then nowadays even, we have great pieces of embroidery that hang up in the museums because you look at them and you like the front looks great but then you flip them over and the back is just as impressive you know when you embroider my mom used to embroider and I remember she would rip stuff out all the time because it wasn't right you had to have the right tension on the needle and the thread to get it just right and it was painstaking and it was time consuming you had to have just the right tension you had to have the right you know the yarn had to be turned the right way and that's how, that's the, the, the detail, the attention to detail that God has poured into making each one of us. You know, it wasn't like, oh, I'm just going to throw together this DNA strand and this, and there we go. We got a, we got a Larry. We got a Mako. <laughs> we got a Heather. No, God, like, labored over making us. I don't know if you've ever watched, if, how many of you have kids, but if you've watched your kids, 
or maybe nephews or nieces make like a piece of artwork, <laughs> right? They will spend hours on it and it doesn't look great. But you're like, oh, that's beautiful. That's great. Yes. They, my daughter will just spend hours making like a, nap, a napkin cape, right? <laughs> she'll spend hours doing it. And then she'll come and say, Mama, do you like the new cape I made from our Barbie? I'm like, oh, it is gorgeous. Yes. But I'm like, oh, I don't see the difference then. But she spent hours. She cut it just right. She tore it just right. She drew little hearts on it, right? She poured herself into it. And that's the same concept here that comes across in Psalm 139. God poured himself into making us unique and special. Okay, so that being said, so if you're like, well, God didn't make me special. He, didn't, he made me dreamless. I don't have any dreams. or That's, that's poppycock. <laughs> I reject it, given Psalm 139 here. That's not true. Okay? All right, let's move on. So how do we figure out what God wants us to do in our life? And that would be nice if there was like this, you know, nice, neat little list, right? Like, sacrifice two turtle doves, um, give me some unleavened bread, and then take your neighbor out to lunch, and I'll have an answer for you. God doesn't work like that, because God works on his own time. However, and in his own ways, but I think God does give us some guidelines to go by when we seek him and say, I really need an answer, and I'm not talking about answers where we're like, Coke, Diet Coke, should I wear shorts or pants today, you know, um, but like, should I apply for another job because I'm miserable where I'm at, or I'm in a season in my life where I need to change things up, should I go back to school, you know, or should we move into a different neighborhood, big picture questions like that, right? And even with dreams, sometimes God's like, now's the time. I want you to launch on this dream that I've given to you. You've had it in your heart for 40 years, 30 years, 20 years, right? Now's the time. You're like, oh, God, I don't know about this. How do we figure out timing and what is right? Well, like I said, there is no step one, two, and three. That would be nice, but it's not. So what are some parameters? Because I'm going to give you guys parameters. Well, first, let's look at this. Can we get the Richard Simmons picture up? We have to get moving. He got squished a little bit. Okay, but growing up for me, Richard Simmons was like the icon of exercise, right? And exercise for the everyday person. It was like, just wherever you are in your itty bitty shorts, just get up and move, right? You can, you can get fit, you can get healthy, just get up and move, right? You don't have to wait till you have the fancy gym membership or the fancy machine at home or the shorts that are more modest. You just get, just get up and you do it, right? And I think it's kind of that concept with God when we're like, God, I need direction. God's like, I need you to get up and move so I can steer you. You can't steer a boat that's just dead in the water, right? It just sits there. God's like, I need you to be moving so I can steer you. All right, so what I want us to do is we're going to look at the, um, we're going to turbo look at this. <laughs> uh, it's Matthew 25, 14 through 30, and this is the parable of uh, the, the uh, servants. And so here's the setup. This is Jesus talking. It's in red letters, so we know that's, that's how we know it's Jesus talking the Bible. Um, okay, so this, uh, like, Lord comes home, and he talks to his three servants. He's like, I'm going to take off. i got to take care of some business. I'm going to just paraphrase it. No, I'll read it real quick. Okay, so this is, this is it. <laughs> and again, or again, it will be like a man going on a journey 
this is Jesus talking, who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one, to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So he doubled his money. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. This guy also doubles his money. 18. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. 19. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. So he's kind of like, okay, what would you do with the money I gave you? 20. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. Okay. 21. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servants. I want you to make a mental note of that. <clears throat> You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. 22. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. Again, the second servant doubles his money. 23. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Let's find out what the one guy, the guy with one did. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. 25. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked. Does he say, hey, good job. That was smart. Thank you for playing it safe. No. He gives this guy a verbal lashing. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. Okay, what else does he do? So he gives him a verbal lashing. He takes the talent, but what else does he do? Okay, take the talent from him. Okay, 29, we have 29. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that, does he say, smart, savvy? No, he calls him a worthless servant outside. That's outside the city gates, which is a bad place. It was like the Badlands. If you guys ever saw Mad Max, <laughs> it, was like the, it was just like lawless, horrible, right? So he's like, toss this servant who played it safe, who hid my money outside the city, okay, uh, into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, so maybe we read this and we say, wow, that's kind of harsh, right? Wow, this guy was playing it safe. Here's what we need to get from this. Uh, do we have that Einstein quote too? Can we put that up? No? Okay, I'll just read it to you guys. It's not long. Einstein says, nothing happens unless something moves. And I think we see that principle at work here in this parable here. Um, you would think, right, that the guy that played it safe would get the reward, especially in today's economy, right? I played it safe. I didn't gamble the money. didn't take any risk. But does Jesus reward that kind of behavior? No. He slams that servant. And he kicks him out. He disowns him. 
He fires him. The two servants that doubled their money, they incurred some risk by doubling the money. It took a little bit of risk to say, okay, how can I figure out how I can double my money? What can I do? All right, this seems kind of risky, but I'm going to step out and I'm going to try it. And they both do it. And Jesus is like, well, sorry, the master. <laughs> Don't tell anybody the ending. So the master's like, you did a good job. I will reward you with more. Good job. But for the guy that sat on the money, he did nothing. He buried it. Jesus verbally lashes him. He publicly scolds him, and then he fires him and kicks him out of town. <laughs> That's pretty extreme, but I think it sends an important message home. When we hide our talent, and by the way, our idea of talents, having a talent, came from uh, this, this scripture here in, in the Anglo-Saxon vernacular here. That's, where, that's the root of it for you word nerds like me. This idea of talent, like what kind of talent do you have? You know, are you, can you dance? Can you sing? Right? Burying your talent, and this isn't just a story about m money at all. It's a story about your gifts and abilities, your dreams, your passions. You sit on those and you bury them, you will not get praise from Jesus. Because guess what? He's like, I need you to take what I gave you and you need to invest it. You need to sow it. You need to get out there and use it. Don't sit on it. Don't, don't hide your light. Remember, don't hide. I'm going to let this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No. Jesus like, don't hide your light. I gave you a light. Let it shine. It can't shine if it's buried. And so I think a lot of times when we're trying to figure out what God wants us to do, and he's given us dreams, Right? We, can't, we bury it because we're like, I don't know how this fits in with the scheme of things, and it scares me because it seems risky to try and make this thing happen. I'm going to bury it. I'm going to hide it. And God's like, no, don't do that. God's like, I made you to shine. You know, it's kind of like if, you take, if we go back to the embroidery idea, like God's made this beautiful embroidery piece, right, that's us. And it's like we have ripped out, we've gone through, and we've ripped out the middle of it. Because we're like, I don't understand how my gift and ability or my passion for painting or drawing works. I'm just going to rip it out. I'm going to box it and hide it away. And God's like, what did you do? I spent hours on this. I have bloody fingernails. And I went through like 10 needles. Because I made it perfect. This was perfect. This was a perfect piece. Why did you do that? This isn't the full picture. And we get scared. We do that, though. God's like, that's not what I meant. <coughs> it takes greater faith to trust in God to make our, our dreams and our visions come true that he gives us. It takes more faith and more risk to step out. We get up from the armchair of life, right, and we're like, okay, God, here I am. I am so scared. I can hear my knees knocking. I'm terrified, but I'm up. And God's like, good, now I can use you. I can't use you when you're sitting down. I can't do that. All right, let's move on. So the number two guideline, right, 
for how do we kind of figure things out, is don't think that our goals and our dreams and our passions have to inherently be spiritual in order to be valid. I think a lot of times we have this misconception. We think, if I'm a good prayer-er, <laughs> right, or I can sing hymns or praise songs, um, or, I don't know, I can lead a great Bible study, then God can use me. Or that's valid. That's a valid gift. But that's not true. That's not accurate. That's not scriptural. And we'll get into it and see why. Um, let me set, there's a, if you could get the video queued up, the Chariots of Fire, there's this little clip that we're going to watch. And it's a story about a British, no, he's Scottish, and his sister. They're missionaries to China. But while he's in school, he also discovers he's got an incredible gift for running. And it gets him, his gift gets him to the Olympics, okay? But his sister, Jenny, is like, uh, your gift isn't, running is taking you away from what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be a missionary. That's what God wants you to do. And Eric, little, Eric's like, but I know running's a gift too. That's a valid gift too. So in this scene, we have the, the, the clashing of these two things, you know, um, He's got this passion for running, but then he's also got this call in his life. And so, let's go ahead and play the video. I've decided. I'm going back to China. The missionary service have accepted me. Oh, <laughs> oh I'm so pleased. <laughs> I've got a lot of running to do first. Jenny. Jenny, you've got to understand. I believe that God made me for a purpose, for China. But he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. To give it up would be to hold him in contempt. You were right. It's not just fun. To win is to honor him. I just love that clip because it's just so rich. You know, his whole point with his sister is, if I don't use my gift of running, I'm essentially burying my talent and I'm sitting on it. And I wonder how many of us have done that with the talents God's given us, right? And maybe we're, we're, we're half of, like, one half of us is Jenny and the other half is Little, or Eric, right? And we have that internal discussion with ourselves. We're like, well, I'm really good at this. I'm really good at, let's say, dance. I'm really good at singing. Or I'm really good at doing art. But it doesn't seem like it's inherently spiritual. So I should probably just ignore it and do away with it. But check this out. God made us as whole beings, he didn't just say, I'm doing just the spiritual side of you guys. The rest, I'll just, you know, whatever. I don't care. I just made spiritual beings. I just want people that are spiritual. No, God's like, it's the whole ball of wax. It's the whole package. And I put that passion inside your kidneys. You know, when we were watching worship here, um, we were watching Patrick, and, man, he was just singing from his kidneys. I mean, that was awesome. All of the people that we're singing up here, and the guitar players and the piano player, too. 
But, you know, watching Patrick, it just was like smacked me upside the head. And Pastor, too. Like, Patrick was just up there, and he was just like, he was functioning from his gifts that were in his kidneys. <laughs> and it was just like, wow. It was like, wow, wow to watch that. You know, it was like impressive. It was anointed, but it was also like he's functioning in his gift. He's not bearing his talent. He's cultivating it. And I, and I just think we need to stop being so narrow-minded and saying, well, this, you know, I mean, if you're like, if you're good at mixing drinks, <laughs> okay, you're good at mixing drinks, but I, I don't see that having long-term consequences. I mean, you know, like, you know what I'm saying. I'm, so I'm saying if you're talented, I'm not saying all talent is on par, but I think God puts dreams in us and gifts and abilities, artistic ability, singing ability, dancing abilities, nursing abilities where you can care for others and render care that don't fall in the parameters of, uh, you know, spiritual stuff, preaching, teaching, like Romans 12, uh, 3, 8 talks about. There are other gifts and abilities. You can be talented at running a business. You can have a knack for entrepreneurship. You can have a knack for um, drag racing or for drift racing, whatever. My point, though, is that we're not in the position to say this is valid, this isn't. God gets to do that because God put us together. And God is the creator of the universe. And I think a lot of times we just get caught up and we get so narrowly focused. We're like, well, you know, in the, in the Old Testament, there was no division between the profane and the holy. And profane, by profane, I don't mean swearing like a truck driver. Profane was like the everyday duties, like the washing of your clothes, the washing of the dishes, the preparing of a meal. God didn't say, okay, that is holy work, this is not. It was all holy to God because you did it all unto God. And I don't think we get that in our Western 21st century culture. We're very good at compartmentalizing, you know? I mean, in our day and age, we break up over text, right? Or end friendships over text or Twitter or whatever, right? We're good at compartmentalizing, but for God... God's like, oh, no, there's no breaking stuff up. Whatever we do, um, we have a, a, a good verse here, Colossians 3, 23 through 25. It says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Now, does it say... Uh, Instead of, can we go back to verse the, the 23? Thank you. It doesn't say uh, church-related stuff or spiritual stuff or Bible study stuff, right? It says whatever you do. If you're taking the trash out, if you're writing a check at work, if you're scrubbing toilets at work, if you're making coffee for, for people, whatever, whatever. Ever you do, that's everything. That's pretty all-inclusive. There is nothing that is excluded. God says, give that to me. Work unto me. Give that to me. So that kind of does away with our idea that I can't do this because this isn't, you know, doesn't have a spiritual component. It's all spiritual if you do it as unto God. Amen? All right. Let's move on. Okay, so 
the third most important thing in kind of for parameters and figuring out what God wants us to do is to abide with God, okay? We have to develop a sensitivity to hearing God. Um, David Platt, who is a noted, um, he's a best-selling author. He just had this book hit the New York Times best-selling list. Uh, it's a book called Radical. It's how to live a radical life for Jesus. Like, what does it look like if we really followed what Jesus laid out? Okay? So this, he has this great quote um, about drawing near to God and abiding with God. So we go to him, being Jesus. We spend time with him. We sincerely listen to his word as we walk in obedience to it. As we do these things, God leads us and guides us according to his will. And suddenly, we realize that the will of God is not a roadmap just waiting to be unearthed. It's kind of like, you know, for those of you who have really good friends, right, or you have siblings that you're close to, or you have a spouse, okay, you get to know their nonverbal cues, right? If they just kind of do a slight, you say something, they go, you're like, uh-oh, they didn't like that, <laughs> right? Or they do kind of a bite the lip or something. Everybody has nonverbal. I have a really good friend, Dana, who we've known for years. I've known her for years. Um, and we can pick the phone up with each other, and just by that, how we say hello or hi, how we answer the phone, we know what's going on with the other person. And that comes from spending a lot of time together and just knowing each other. We, d we did a thing started for Dana and I when we were, we were like 18. We went on a two-week camping trip in the high Sierras. No toilets, no showers for two weeks. It was, it was pretty gnarly. <laughs> no Marshalls, no Starbucks. <laughs> And we, we got to have a lot of good conversations because when you're walking on a trail for, you know, eight hours a day, there's no TV, there's no iPod, there's no iPad, there's no phone, there's nothing. You get to talk a lot. And you're stinky and you're dirty. <laughs> and so we got to just talk for hours, hours over a two-week period. And that was kind of the glue that cemented our relationship. And so we can see each other and just, I can hear her sigh when we're face-to-face, -face, or she'll go, well, and I know what she's thinking. Well, guess what? God wants us to be like that with him. And that only comes by being in his word and having fellowship with him. It's kind of like, okay, my same friend Dana, she, um, she's like a triple type A sort of personality. When she was eight months pregnant, she defended her doctoral dissertation. <laughs> Crazy. Um, and then when she was 40, she decided that she was going to run a marathon to celebrate turning 40. And she tried to condition and, and practice leading up to it, but she just didn't. So what she did was she just jumped into running a marathon, turning 40. And she's athletic anyways, but she did it. She ran the marathon, but she died at the finish line, and she, she barely finished. And she was so sore for two weeks she could barely walk. And that's kind of how it is for us when we get into a situation and we haven't been abiding with God, we haven't been reading his word, we haven't been spending time quietly listening for his voice, and something big comes up in our life, and we expect to get direction right away. God's like, and it's not that God can't do it, but he's, 
he's in it for the relationship. And it would be nice to be able to get from point A to point B, right? When we're asking for direction from God, what should I do? But God is more interested in the space between A and B. It's not that the outcome doesn't matter to God, but he is so committed to our transformation, to us looking more Christ-like, that he'll let us take 40 years to get from point A to point B, like he did with people in the Bible. Abraham, when I preach on Abraham, remember? <laughs> he was 75 when God's like, hey, so I'm going to give you a son. He's going to be your genetic son, your biological child. 25 years later, he had to wait for 25 years. And he wasn't getting any younger. He's like, God, really? Come on. God was more interested in the space in between than he was in the final result. And by the time Abraham did have that son, he was a different person. He was transformed. And so it's the same thing with Gus. God can give us dreams and abilities and gifts, but he's like, I am more interested in the type of person that you come out to be. Because if God wanted to, because he's God, he could fold space and time, right? And just be like, boom, there you go. <laughs> right? He's like, I'm more interested in your character. Are you looking more Christ-like? And are you walking with me? Do you have fellowship with me? <coughs> um, Proverbs 3, 6 says, in all your ways acknowledge him. Okay, so we look at that and we say, oh, yeah, right. All praise be to Jesus. I pray before I eat. <laughs> you know, all that stuff. But what's interesting is in the Hebrew, acknowledge isn't just a tip of a hat to God saying, Okay, God, I get it, or I hear you. The idea behind this word in the Hebrew is pressing into God. We are pressing into God as we are going through our life. We're saying, God, I'm doing this, but I am pressing into you. It's not like a, yeah, God, yes, yes, I love Jesus, yes, I do, how about you? It's a pushing in with all of our might. When Josh and I were dating, he was great. He, um, there was no doubt in my mind that he wanted to date me, which was unusual because in the past I'd gone for losers, and they were like, yeah, sure, we can date. I don't know, whatever. But Josh was, like, on it, man. He was calling me. It was great. It was just like I knew what his intentions were, and they were good and godly. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> but that's how we need to be with God. And I know it gets tricky because there's all this other stuff that gets in the way. It's like our vision gets blurred. But we need to be like that with God. We need to be like, God, I love you and I want to pursue you. I want to abide with you. And it's not feel-good, fluffy feelings because a lot of times life sucks and it's rough and it's hard. But God's like, I sent my son for you. I showed you first that I loved you. And so we need to press into God. We need to say, God, I want to be with you through all this junk and this crap. I want to press in and be with you. I want to abide with you, God. And that gets tricky sometimes, but that's what we're called to do. <coughs> I want to just read that quote. Can we get that quote up again? I believe this is Eric Little in this film. And it, by the way, it was a true story, too. Pretty profound. 
I believe that God made me for a purpose. But he also made me fast. When I run, I feel his pleasure. Can I have the band and the ushers come up, please? I just want to ask you guys, do you know what your purpose is? Do you believe that you have a purpose? Or that God just created you kind of willy-nilly? It's like, ah, yeah, this looks great together. Perfect. No, because you know what? God doesn't make clones, right? We're not a, he didn't make an army of robot people. He was like, I gave you free will, and I want you to engage in relationship and, and friendship. Be my friend. Think about this. This guy, Eric Little, he honored God through his running. Not because when he was running, he was like, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. But he ran with integrity, and he was so committed to his running, it was a joy to watch. You ever seen somebody who, who uh, is great at dancing or great at singing or great at running? You know, with the Olympics right now, you look at these people and you're like, these people are completely passionate about what they're doing. They are so sold out and their families are sold out and behind the, these athletes. It's amazing to watch. You watch people like that and, and you're kind of like, I want some of that. What is that? Well, guess what? When we live our lives according to the fullness that God has for us, right, people look at us and they say, what's different about that person? Why are they so, why are they so crazy about life? Or why are they so passionate? It's because God has called us to a purpose, whatever that is in your life. And when we live life to the fullest like that, it points to Jesus. There's just a light that comes out when you're like, I love life and I'm going to I'm going to eat it up. <laughs> People go, "What? What's up with that person? Why are they so passionate? Why are they so driven?" Wow. And I'm not saying that you have to be an ambitious step on people for, you know, other people to be like, "Oh, you're a Jesus lover." No. But I'm saying that when we know that we are abiding Christ, and that God has called us to do something. Whether it's missionary work in China, feeding orphans in Africa, or serving up the best drinks as a barista in Starbucks, whatever it is. When we do that unto God, there's going to be a passion that fills us. And people are going to be like, I want that. What is that about? Right? I'd encourage you guys, don't hide your talents. Don't sit on them because it seems safer. It is safe, but it's boring. And God, God's like, I need people that are going to hop on the train. <laughs> I can't force you. He can force us, but he's a gentleman. And God wants us to, to see that, to see he didn't make us to just live life in and out and be boring. Sometimes it can be. That's just part of being a grown-up, right? But God's like, I've got a vision for you. I've got a purpose. Let's go. Let's go. Come on. So I encourage you guys this week, remember that. Remember God has put a purpose in each one of your hearts, in each one of your lives, whether it's being the best mom to your kids or if you're an auto mechanic, being the best auto mechanic because you're not doing it until your shop or your boss but you're doing it unto Jesus. Let's pray. Dear God, 
Lord, I thank you that we were fearfully and wonderfully made. God, that you have made each one of us distinct from the other. We might share similarities, God, but you have, you have imbued each one of us, God, with a unique stamp of your craftsmanship, God. And Lord, I just pray for every person in here that they would get that at a very deep level. And Father, things that um, maybe some of us have been playing it safe, God. And we have, we've been sitting and we've buried and we've been sitting on the talents you've given us. God, I pray right now for courage for those of us that have done that, God, that we would be courageous and we would dig up the talents that you've given us and we would look for ways to invest them, God, to grow them. And Lord, we, we give back to you right now. And we say thank you, God, for giving to us first through your son. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.